Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Make a Change podcast, episode two. I'm your host, Tira Ashley. Today, we're going to be talking about how to hack your brain like a computer to overcome addiction, conquer fear, improve your career, and fix your relationships. At least uh, those are what the cover of the book by Sir John Hargrave claim. I know those are some bold statements, and I'm not trying to say it's a quick fix pill. I truly believe that such things don't exist. It's a it's a personal development project, really. So almost all of the information that I'll be talking about today comes from the book Mind Hacking by Sir John Hargrave. Normally, I probably wouldn't share so much of the contents of a book on my podcast, but uh, Hargraves makes it really clear in his book that his uh, process and tools are not copyrighted and he wants you to share them with the world. So, of course, a link to the book will be in the show notes. Uh, There's some great workbooks in there if you're the type of person who likes to kind of have a daily practice with things that you're working on. I highly recommend getting the book. There's also a lot of analogies about actual computer hacking that I'm probably not going to get into today because it's not really my cup of tea. But if that interests you, highly recommend. Go check it out in the show notes. Okay, now let's make some changes. So what is mind hacking exactly? It's kind of like the science of self-improvement. Mind hacking is experimenting on yourself. Mind hacking is mastery of the mind, and to master the mind is to master your life. I would say it's actually similar to mindfulness, which uh, here's kind of a funny story. I had the subscription box that sent little spiritual items and uh, plants and crystals. It was like a little tacky but cute Uh, and they sent me a book on mindfulness and I was like great. Uh, What kind of yoga bitch wrote that? And you know I love yoga but you know what I mean when I say yoga bitch with the mindfulness and (laughs) and I guess I didn't even actually know what it meant And I put the book aside, and then months and months later, I kind of went, maybe I should just take a peek. And I realized that mindfulness is something that I practice all the time, and really the key concept is just being aware of what you're thinking about and checking in with yourself. So, mind hacking, similar to mindfulness, don't knock it till you try it. (laughs) There are three pillars to hacking. First, analyzing the source code of the mind, imagining how cool it would be to make it do something else, and then reprogramming the code with determined persistence until we see our lives transformed. Okay, part one, analyzing. According to John Hargraves, you are not your mind. This is the message I want you to shout from the rooftops, you are not your mind. Close your eyes and think about it for a moment. The fact that you can observe your mind and think about it objectively shows that there is a mind, 
and then there is an observer of the mind which we will call you. In other words, you can separate your mind, which you have just pictured, with you who is doing the picturing. This is the first step to mind hacking. We must analyze and observe our minds. Okay, here's a little game to help you do this. It's called, what was my mind just thinking? For the rest of the day, start building up awareness of your mind by asking yourself as often as possible, what was my mind just thinking? You can keep track on paper, but I'm not going to tell you to do that because uh, I don't like being given projects while I'm listening to podcasts. So just think about it. Pay attention. And when you do, step outside of mind and look at you. Your mind spends most of its time projecting into future plans, dreams, fears, or reminiscing about the past, like memories, regrets, nostalgia. Frequently, clips from the same movies play over and over again. Like, why did I say that? I'm such a fucking idiot. I don't know why I even try. I'll never be able to do that. If I don't watch every penny, I'll end up in poverty. Everyone at work is talking about me. When you catch yourself thinking these things, playing the same clips over and over, pay attention to what replays and loops in your head. Be the observer of it, and then try to view it objectively without getting caught up in the content. What was my mind just thinking? I encourage you to approach your mind with a spirit of openness, awareness, and curiosity. Developing this awareness and making it a habit is the foundation of mind hacking. And I would say it's the foundation of mindfulness as well. Okay, now it's time to debug your mental loops. You need to learn how to select your thoughts just the same way you select your clothes every day. This is a power you can cultivate. If you want to control things in your life so badly, work on the mind. That is actually the only thing you should try to control. Elizabeth Gilbert Your loops create your thoughts. Your thoughts create your actions. Your actions create your life. Therefore, the quality of your loops determines the quality of your life. Fix your loops, fix your life. So, just to clarify, I would say loops are the thoughts that play in your head when you're not paying attention. For example, I have a loop that everybody is mad at me or everybody hates me. And when I look at it logically, there is no evidence that everybody's mad at me or everybody hates me. You know, I'm sure some people do, and that's okay. I'm a big believer that you can't be everybody's cup of tea, and that's totally fine. And yet, when people seem a little weird with me, all of a sudden my loot plays. It's like, oh God, they hate me. They're mad. I have, I've fucked it up. I don't know what I did, but I've fucked it up. (laughs) And then it turns out that they were just busy, which makes sense because why would they be mad? You know, it's just like our loops are silly when you look at them, usually, but they seem so real when they creep up on you. A good way to look for loops is where there's pain, outward pain, such as a series of failed jobs or relationships, or inward pain, such as depression and anxiety, there's usually a faulty loop. Pain is an excellent indicator that we need to examine our loops. The best way to track down loops is looking at the areas of life that cause you pain, such as difficulty in relationships or at work, persistent negative beliefs, etc. 
So now we're going to talk about some ways to debug your loops. One way that uh, Hargraves recommends, he calls the five whys. And essentially what it is, is when you're having some loop come up, some issue that you notice, you just ask yourself why to try and get to the bottom of it. And it could look something like this. I can't get along with my bosses. Why? Well, sometimes I'm unsubordinate, insubordinate. Why? Now that I think about it, it's more like I don't want to be forced to do something I don't believe in. Why? Because I had to do that a lot growing up. I hated that my father was so dominating. Why? Because it made me feel like I can't be trusted to make my own decisions. Now, basically, you got to the bottom of that with realizing the underlying cause of your issues at work, which has nothing to do with work. I was trying to do this with Christmas <laughs> when I was going back through and finding what I was going to talk about in the podcast. I found this method and personally what's been coming up for me lately is I just feel really stressed around the holidays for whatever reason. And you know what? I'm just going to do it right now for you guys. Okay. I don't like Christmas. Why? There's a lot of aspects of it that stress me out. Uh, I'm not a super gifty person. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of like the mall crowds, the pressure, the gluttony. <laughs> Why? I can tell you, it gets harder as you get deeper. Um, I'd like to think, maybe this is just like my psychologist mind, I kind of feel like maybe it had to do with something in my childhood. Holidays were a little stressful for me. But I honestly think that the holidays just bump up against some things that I just don't really like. The biggest one being obligation. And when I'm obligated to do something, I'm one of those people that like wants to run so far in the other direction. So I guess for me, the holiday season, I associate with a lot of obligation. And for all the people who are like heartbroken over this, don't get me wrong. I see the beautiful aspects of Christmas. I know about the cheer and the family time and all of that. But for some reason, the difficult parts often outweigh the bad for me. So that's just like a mini version of it. I didn't even ask myself five whys. I think I asked like three, but you can get pretty deep pretty quick just asking yourself questions about how you feel about things. Okay, method number two, worst case scenario. Uh, this is one that I actually have been using for years and I totally forgot that I got that from this book. It is super helpful, but... um. Yeah, much of our mental pain is based on fears of imaginary events that simply will never happen. This fear is often just beneath the surface, gnawing away at us. By exaggerating that fear, we can pull it out into the open. We do this by asking one question. What's the worst case scenario? Now, John Hargraves likes to get into making it so dramatic that it's kind of laughable. Like, okay... I'm afraid that I'm going to be poor or whatever. <laughs> God. Um, 
how you do it is what's the worst case scenario? Okay, you lose your job. Because you lose your job, you lose your apartment and your fiance dumps you and your friends leave you and you have no family and therefore you literally have nowhere else to go and must move onto the street and never be able to get a job again. That seems a little silly, right? I mean, that would be a far fall. Not that people don't make that fall, but it's usually gradual. And so it's kind of just a way to like reset your fears and expectations. Personally, I do it in a different way. Um, I do it like when something that I'm afraid of comes up, I ask myself, what's the worst case scenario? And I get myself to accept that that's a possibility in this world that I can't control. And for whatever reason, that makes me feel better about it. Like, I don't know, even just like worst case scenario, I die. I, you know, I personally, I guess, believe in a pleasant afterlife. So that's helpful. And I'm like, okay, worst case scenario, I die. That's not the end of the world. <laughs> maybe it is for me. But uh, maybe that's a really weird example. And I apologize for making light of it. Uh, let's hear one of uh, Hargrave scenarios. Worst case scenario is that she doesn't date me anymore. I really like her and I will feel crushed if she doesn't feel the same way. Feeling crushed doesn't feel good, but this is nowhere near a worst case scenario. Worst case scenario is that she never causes me, calls me back. This causes me to lose confidence, which women can detect immediately. They start to become repelled by me. Eventually, I give up completely and accept the fact that I'm doomed to be completely alone. Worse yet, I live to be 108, outliving even my family and friends, so I die completely alone with no one to hold my hand except the nursing home attendant who happens to be taking my blood pressure at the time. <laughs> so that's his example of a worst case scenario. And really, it's silly. So I guess you're just trying to diffuse the energy by being extra in the opposite direction. Or in the same direction. You're kind of leaning into it. Which, you know, can be helpful. Method number three. Third person perspective. This is another one that I use all the time. I can't believe how many uh, lessons I've taken away from this book that I just actively use. And this one's really simple. If this was someone else's problem, what would I say to that person? Most of us have a much easier time giving advice to others than giving advice to ourselves. Our problems are in our own blind spot. But if you step outside of yourself for a moment, the different yous, the you of you and the you of your mind, and you can have a chat and be like, if this one's so, but somebody else's problem, how would I tell them to handle it? And that's kind of a way to get a whole new perspective that you wouldn't have gotten normally. So now that we've kind of figured out what some of our loops are, we start basically replacing them with new, more positive loops. I want to make a very clear distinction. This does not mean shoving out your old beliefs and being like, no, I'm bad for thinking that. What you have to do is kind of recognize it and interact with it and consciously replace it with something new. One way you can do this is to write down all of your loops that you notice, or if you're not that type of person, just notice them. 
And then when you catch yourself thinking about one of those things, replace it with your new positive loop. I actually do this all the time. Uh, I'm going to do a whole episode on body image issues, but I have had a loop since I was a kid that I know many others have struggled with. Uh, It comes in a few forms. One is, if I skip the gym, I'm going to get fat. Or, if I eat that, I'm going to get fat. Logically, first of all, know for a fact that I am not fat, and I know for a fact that that wouldn't make me any less beautiful or valuable as a human. Most importantly, it wouldn't change who I am on the inside, and yet, this loop plays in my head. It shows up all the time. And I was trying to kind of trace it back. I was in the modeling industry for a long time, and my agent was always telling me to lose weight just kind of naturally have the big hips, and no matter how much I lost, uh, it was never quite enough to be the right model size, but this definitely predates that. I was thinking back to this magnet we used to have on our fridge that said, nothing tastes as good as being thin feels. (laughs) And I was thinking like, yeah, that's the message I grew up with. I was always surrounded by most people have some sort of body image ideal and most people I'm sure have some loop surrounding their body for those who are born kind of naturally thin have the opposite loop oh I need to gain weight if I don't eat enough I'm not going to gain weight and I'm not going to look good uh Pay really close attention to the loop surrounding your body and your appearance because chances are you're trashing yourself a lot and that just can't be good, right? It just can't be good and we're all doing it. So I think it's something that we need to fix. I've gotten to the point where it's like cringy for me to hear people talk shit about their own bodies and that's different than setting fitness goals and achieving them or whatever, but I mean just the general, like, trashing yourself loops have got to go. So we need to replace them. One uh, replacement that I have for that loop is I look great. And even if I didn't look great to my own personal standards, I would love myself anyway. I look great. Actually, get rid of the second part. Just like, I look great. This may sound cheesy, and it kind of sounds like when people tell you to, like, look in the mirror and tell yourself you love yourself, and I don't know, it could be kind of like that, but I think the thing is, you're not rel- you're not lying to yourself, you're replacing old thoughts. When our mind goes down one of these dangerous paths, we can now correct it. So, it might look like this. Everything I do ends in failure. But wait a minute. I got a great grade on my last essay, so it can't be everything I do. I shouldn't have said that. But you know what? I'm probably the only one who will even remember it. I'm getting more self-confident every day. Eventually, with lots of practice, you will be able to just flip a loop right over before it even grabs a hold of your mind. A drink sure would be nice. Flip except my sobriety is the root of all things good in my life. I cannot stand that woman. Flip. But I'm free from resentment. I can live and let live. I will never get out of debt. Flip. But I've already come a long way. Maybe I can get out of debt. 
One of the best ways to practice this is take advantage of mental downtime, such as your daily commute, waiting in line, exercising, etc. During these times, repeat the positive thought loops with feeling. This doesn't mean zombie-like on repeat. It means feel what it feels like to believe these things. I think that's a very important factor because otherwise it might just feel like you're lying to yourself. And maybe it will either way. You know, it's a practice. It's something that you're going to have to work on. And for me, I mean, I've been practicing this for like a couple years now. I still have the loops about my body that pop up all the time. But at least now, I kind of defeat them with logic. I can look at them and be like, that's just not true. People do like me. I look great. Yada yada. You can use logic or whatever it takes. A lot of times our loops don't even make any sense. They're just programming. So that's all I've got for today, but let's do a little recap. In conclusion, you can reprogram your mind. The first step is being aware of you versus your mind doing the thinking. You can do this playing the what was my mind just thinking game. Take notice of what your negative thought loops are and write them down if you like. When you notice a thought loop coming up, replace it. Flip that shit over. No, actually, I'm killing it. Thank you very much. And practice. Repetition is key to this process actually working. So I hope you found this information valuable. I know it's been very valuable to me. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please rate and review as well as subscribe. You can find me on Instagram at Tira Ashley, T-I-E-R-A-A-S-H-L-E-Y. The curse of having a weird name is having to spell it every time you say it. I don't have social media for the podcast yet, but pretty soon I think I'm going to make a Twitter for it. So yeah, for now, if you want to find me, that's the place to look. You can listen to Make a Change with Tira Ashley on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks, guys.